Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your co-hosts, Jess Geyer. I am the co-creator of Wannabe Games, uh, and I am a tabletop game designer. And with me is my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hello, I'm Craig Campbell. Um, I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and uh, yeah, I make games too. And we have a special guest co-host, who maybe maybe this person also makes games. We don't know yet. <laughs> God, I hope so. Otherwise, it's really awkward. <laughs> it's Eddie Webb. Local zookeeper. What? <laughs> well, golly, Jesus. Thanks for bringing me on. No. <laughs> Hi, my name is Eddie Webb. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I am the uh, owner and creator of uh, Pugsteady, where I've been a full-time self-employed freelancer for, gosh, uh, I just did math, seven years. Um, wow. And uh, I've been a freelancer off and on for, for well over 20 years. And my biggest client right now is I'm a full-time uh, in-house developer with uh, Onyx Path Publishing. So I, I've been around the block a few times, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. And thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. This is, this is, I'm looking forward to this. It's fun. I'll get to usually dig into deep design very often on these. Oh, geez, we got to go deep? <laughs> well, usually it's the hey. So, what have you worked on lately? Let me sell right, you the latest right. product. Let me answer a couple of minor questions. It's like let's talk about design. It's like oh boy, let's talk about design. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, you you get those conversations sometimes when you can get into a big group with other designers, mm-hmm. and then those tend to get really long, <laughs> long winded. But yeah, it seems like everybody else in my life starts getting this glazed look in their eye. <laughs> they just don't understand us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky I live with my partner in crime in one of games, so I can talk to him about it whenever I want to, but you know, oh, nice. <laughs> but, uh, Craig, would you like to talk about what this podcast is all about and get us into our first topic? Um, sure. Yeah. We here at RPG R and D, uh, hit on uh, a couple of topics. Um, we've been doing a pretty good job of having them being mildly related. Um, one, uh, the first topic always kind of GMing oriented and the second one being a design, uh, topic, um, for uh, all the designers and burgeoning wannabe hopeful designers um, who are out there. Um, So today we're going to start with uh, getting players to not just focus on stat stuff, Um, because I know it can be very easy as a player, um, particularly with a system, you know, the more robust the system, the easier it is to kind of get immersed Mm -hmm. and get caught up in like everything that's on your character sheets like i've got all these stats these skills these pluses these minuses here's my magic items here's my spells here's my artifacts here's my superpowers here's whatever right and and you find yourself you know too easily making decisions based on optimizing the things you have Mm -hmm. um listed on your character sheet um and and uh you know maybe losing track of like kind of like, well, what would my character do from a personality or goals perspective? Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about like ways that GMs can help to encourage players to um, to not get too caught up. Um, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with uh, having a uh, staff of the Magi and knowing all the things that can do right? because <laughs> it can get you out of a lot of binds. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, also kind of, you know, what we can do to encourage players to um not get caught up too heavily in that and, and kind of lose track of what their character is. Mm-hmm. So anybody who wants to just chime in, let's, uh, what if you have any thoughts about things we can do? Oh boy, do I have, I have lots of thoughts about this. <laughs> um, uh, so I guess for me, I like to start with um, 
the idea of rules mastery. Uh, one of the things that uh, there's a great book by Ref Koster called A Theory of Fun, and it talks about all different ways that people can have fun with games. And one of those is rules mastery. Some people genuinely find value in that kind of optimization, min-maxing gameplay. Uh, and so that's one thing to kind of be aware of is that there may be people at the table to where that to them is fun, but I completely agree that um, unless everyone at the tables is that kind of fun, that level of fun can take a disproportionate amount of time from everybody else's mm -hmm. way of enjoying the game. Uh, so one thing I have found usually in the past is either kind of put up front, you know, hey, this is a game where I'm not going to worry too much about the rules or, you know, I'm just going to make a rules call and we'll move on. Um, but uh, respecting a player's rules mastery is like, you know what, I think you probably got those rules nailed down. We'll just go with that and then move on. Sometimes can help people feel like, oh, okay, you respect that I've, I've studied and really understood these rules without it taking a disproportionate amount of time at the table. So that's one kind of piece of it. Yeah, I think the the disproportionate angle is the right kind of focus on this. I have definitely met people, and we've talked to people on this podcast who have said that they enjoy min-maxing. Mm -hmm. I can't remember who it was exactly, but someone did say it. <laughs> Um, their, but, their name is kept secret for their protection. <laughs> you can go back and listen. I, I, I swear I'm not making this up. Someone said that they like to do it. Uh, I, I think where where that problem does is when it does become like the sole focus of the game because you know you're you're trying to go beyond just just the character sheet. You're you're trying to go into the character too because at at, at some point if you're only focusing on those stats and 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 how to make the numbers go up uh you you might as well just be playing a board game there's not a problem with that either there are board games that do kind of blend that little element of like traditional ttrpgs yeah. i um, love gloomhaven too yeah yeah uh <laughs> but it, but at some point like why not just play that game if right. if you would like to so i think as a gm um one of the things that you could definitely do to encourage that is is you know to to allow your your players to min max but make sure that you know everyone has that chance to get the opportunity in the spotlight if they're even if their character is like a super underpowered little character that just wants to to be weird um again as long as everyone's like kind of on board with those those kinds of concepts um but making sure that everyone does have that chance to shine. So maybe the, the need or that, that desire to be the, the best at swinging your sword or whatever you're doing in the game is lessened. You're not only rewarding the numbers, you're rewarding other things within the, the game that you're giving. Oh, I think that's a good point to particularly games that have some sort of a rewarded currency sort of thing like right. Benny's on this sort of thing is if you if you have a game where um where where the GM is going to be rewarding players for clever play for funny moments for you know uh, emotional you know uh, depth um and, and great you know dramatic moments um is to make sure that you're uh, as a, as the GM you're rewarding you know awarding those points for those types of things as well not just things that came out of the stat sheets but when somebody just comes up with a clever idea that had nothing to do with utilizing um um uh, making a bunch of rolls or utilizing um, a powerful magic item or something like that and making sure like, that reinforces with the players that oh oh i can get something out of mm -hmm. doing those things too i don't have to just be 
um, looking for the best use of the things that are in my character sheet, I can, um, I can benefit from setting that aside and just coming up with something interesting at the table that, that isn't reliant upon that. It doesn't even necessarily have to be something like a bit like those, those rewards that reward you mechanically in the game, but a reward can be that like you have that cool character moment and that is fun to do at the table. Um, but, but those bennies and things you can add like inspiration points, luck points, whatever you want to call them, bennies, you can add those to any game if that is something that you're all on board with, but you can kind of bridge that gap between the, the, the underpowered character to maybe the overpowered character by giving them those rewards too. And, and it's interesting, uh, the, the flip side of this to a degree is also failure. I know there are some players who rely on the mechanics in a sheet because they are nervous about failing or they're worried about the consequences of failure. And so uh, socially anxious players, for example, may rely like, okay, well, I, I don't know what I would say this year, so I'm just going to roll dice to do social things and make it go away or whatever. Um, so uh, another way to kind of approach that is rewarding is great, but also to make failure interesting and not punitive. Mm. Um, uh, and combat's kind of one of the harder to tricky places to do is because, I mean, depending on the game you're running, uh, uh, death might be very much on the table. And so it's like, well, if I make the wrong dice roll, I might die, could be a very real concern in some types of design. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a game master, either the, mo- the more higher stakes those rolls are, the more likely people are going to default to the dice or their character sheet or ways to maximize their effectiveness because they don't want that crippling negative consequence to apply. But if you ease up on it, um, people usually don't worry as much about that side of it. So for humorous games, um, this happens less often, I've found. Like uh, Onyx Path does a game called They Came From Beneath the Sea, which is a B-movie parody of 50s you know, sci-fi films. And it's actually a little hard to succeed in that game, but that's by the point. It's part of it is the, the comedy, the fun of, oops, we tripped over the set and the set fell on us. But there are also right. things you can spend in the game called rewrites to actually you know the set's wobbly or there's a missing scene and so there's ways around that you can just spend points and say okay i just succeeded this and okay cool and we're just gonna move right on and it's done in a funny interesting way uh so that way it's the okay well then if i know i can just spend points and succeed if i need to then it's okay if i fail now because then i know that there's a ripcord for me to get out of that. So I completely agree rewards are a huge part of it, but also being aware that making sure the failures don't seem oversized in a player's head and therefore they feel like they need to rely on that sheet. Yeah, that is, I think you tapped into something there too, that the the desire to make your character the best and the most powerfulest and the prettiest and everything mm-hmm. is, is not the desire to be a, usually not to be like the the coolest at the table or to to win the game quote unquote but because you do you care about your character and you want them to survive and and you want them to do cool things um and uh yeah and, and there is a lot of that 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 nervous is not only like i i need this crutch for my own role playing purposes but also that nervousness of if i if i don't take this power how am I going to get through to the next right. time I can level up or, or get a new thing? Um, and it is kind of, it's always sad. It's always kind of sad and scary to, to lose a character. And I, I yeah. in my experience, a lot of people who do min-max their characters are really attached to their character mm-hmm. and they will have a cool concept for their character and they will want to role play that concept. Um, I think, I think we kind of covered that earlier too. Like it's the, 
the disproportionate focus usually like when we're talking about this usually to the detriment of the balance at the rest of the table for people who don't want to do that yep Um, cool salt (laughs) oh yeah another (laughs) another thought too is uh and you know this 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 requires some work on the gm's part but is keeping up to speed on what is on all of your character all, all the character sheets mm-hmm. you know like knowing okay what spells do the character do the players tend to take what magic items mm-hmm. do they have and what are their capabilities what superpowers what cyberware you know what are all the things that they can do um and then you know certainly they want to be able to use those abilities and you know you'll you'll provide challenges that allow them to let you know let their character shine with that equipment but every you know now and then you can you know present a challenge that like the characters don't have like the go-to items like that automatically scream out um like oh use me in this situation yeah um where where they have to kind of um think a little outside the box maybe they maybe they find an interesting way to use an item that's on their sheet that's kind of out of the ordinary um, or they find something that's wholly unrelated to equipment spells and kind of stuff that's on their sheet. And they, they, they come up with a clever idea that's mostly built around just like, you know, tricking the NPCs or, um, or something like that, where it, uh, it, it gives them the opportunity, gives the players the opportunity to um, realize that they can do uh, things. They can do interesting things that have real uh, consequences and um and are you know fun and enjoyable for everyone at the table um that isn't just like okay now i you know plug and play this uh this particular magic item because it's you know it's custom built for dealing with this sort of a situation um and that takes a fair bit of work on the play on the gm's part and the higher you know the the longer the campaign goes on the more stuff that they might have access to or you might think they still have access to something that they no longer do because they used up a potion or they've you know lost a piece of equipment or they sold it or whatever um but if you can keep up to speed on that you can often come up with ideas for like oh this is something that they're gonna have to a little they're gonna have to think about a little bit or that they'll have to work together for yeah yeah even even better um and i know uh i recently ran a superhero game and that was something that came up uh because um a couple of players had very physically powerful characters and uh i ran a couple of adventures and there were starting to, the players started getting circus like you know it seems like there's a lot of punching and my character punches really well. So I'm where I'm taking attention away from the other players, which is really cool of them to do, right? It was really cool the players to proactively be aware of that and say, hey, I don't want to suck up everyone's time. I don't want my character sheet to be that amazing. Right. And I was like, you know, I appreciate, I really appreciate these things. That's really cool. Understand that I have a plan. And they're like, okay. Um, and so at a certain point in time, I had those characters mind controlled, and we we talked about it ahead of time. They were all happy. They're they're cool with the consent of it's okay if your characters are manipulated. And so I was like, cool, you you check that box. We're gonna do that. And so I turned them against the other player characters, and now it's like, okay, well, just people that we really relied on now they're against us. Now what do we do? Yeah. Um. So being able to take those strengths and turn them into weaknesses, or vice versa, that really weird grease spell that almost never gets used and finding opportunities as a game master to let that player shine. He's like, I finally got to use that spell. That's great. Um, <laughs> that again can rely, can move people away from taking those 
always in, always active crutch powers or crutch abilities and going, well, if everything looks like a nail, I'm going to keep using this hammer. But if you start throwing in screws or wrenches or other mm -hmm. kind of variations, then they're going to realize, oh, I can't always just punch it and make it go away. I have to think about different things. And that's going to start hopefully breaking them away from a small piece of their character sheet to look at other parts of the character sheets like role playing, like backgrounds or whatever. That's a brilliant strategy too, is to turn the, the kind of overpowered character against the rest. Mm -hmm. Again, good good on you for getting the consent for the mind control stuff, because that is that can be a little bit of a, a touchy issue. Yes. Always get consent from your players. <laughs> um uh, that one is really good, as well as the you have stumbled into something that has drained you of this specific power and now mm -hmm. the spotlight's on you we're gonna figure out how to get this power back for you um that's another uh fun trope to go back on that gives a lot more opportunity opens the door for a lot more role play for that character um especially if they're um if the player has been a little iffy about like doing the role playing rather than just the stat stuff um giving them that those emotional avenues to explore what those skills mean to their character rather than just i point and it goes boom that's a really good point is it making them realize how much they've been relying on that mm -hmm. yeah again that's something that you should talk to your players about too because not everyone is very happy when you say like oh you can't use this now because a ghost kissed you and and now now you have no more no more sparkle ability or whatever you're using um yeah make sure that that is something that that people are okay with maybe talk to that player before beforehand um and also of course you have to kind of think about your player's schedule because you don't want to make an arc revolving around a certain character if that person's going to be absent a lot that time uh, so <laughs> that's really a huge problem yeah yeah and be uh, and be wary of of if taking if taking something away you know like there's there's a certain point and it's going to be different based on the player there's a certain point where okay it's been gone long enough right um it's right. time it's time for me to be able to get that back you know like give them the opportunity to um you know uh you know remove the curse or whatever uh -huh. it is that it's that's causing the problem right or replace with something equivalent i mean you know it doesn't always have to be you get it back you can get like, like something else or, or something's even better i mean that's another opportunity um certainly i have run games where a particular item becomes a concern. And, and like we've talked about, I talked to the player first, like I need to take this away. It's becoming an issue. I'm gonna give you something that's equivalent or better or whatever, but it's not gonna have this right. concern with it. Um, and sometimes it's gone really well and other times it's been like, okay, can we just change the stats so that way it's just not as cool. And it's okay, then narratively nothing changes, but on the back end and the mechanics, we're adjusting and tweaking things and say, okay, this is not gonna be as, useful in as many circumstances. Yeah. Um, it really depends on the player's comfort level. I completely agree. In my experience too, people are usually pretty open when you say like, hey, you know that this is rocking the entire world of my game right now. Right. Can we can we do something different? Can we maybe put a caveat on it? Can we tweak this, add a house rule to it? Um, yeah, they're, they're, I, I, that's a good strategy. Um, from, a, from a role playing strategy too, I'm thinking of like other things you can do. Um, you could always do the, um, and we've talked about this trope too. The villain has your thing, and mm. any every time you level that up, your the villain also gets a big power boost. Um, oh yeah, that's that's a way you can, um, you know, balance some things out because there there are some stat things that you have to do as a GM, especially if you're playing a 
you know, a, like a superhero type game, whether that's actual superheroes or like, you know, your traditional medieval fantasy sword and sorcery stuff, mm-hmm. um, you do have to do a little bit of world power balancing uh, sometimes. I'm, I'm reading, this is a little slightly off topic, I'm reading Two Towers right now. And oh, okay. like the, there, you can look at that world, this world that has inspired so many of our games and you have people like Gandalf who are like super OP and right. amazing. They can do whatever <laughs> they want. Like no one can kill Gandalf the White when he comes back. Spoilers, he comes back. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just got to that scene. It's a great scene. Um, <laughs> but then you have the hobbits and the hobbits can't do anything. The right. hobbits are, but the hobbits are the heart of the story. Yep. Um, so it's, it's not, you don't have to find a perfect balance. There can be people who are, and maybe they want to be the the strong arm of of all of the combat, but they're not the strong arm of the role play. Yeah, I mean, and I think if you, looking at fiction is a really good point. Is that um, there there very rarely are perfectly balanced groups. I mean, there are shows like Leverage where it's specifically designed to be each person has the role and whatnot. But I mean, also uh, the, the showrunner for that show was a tabletop gamer, and so he kind of built his idea off of that design but a lot of other fiction there is someone who is outsized and better so you find different circumstances where that person's off foot um sherlock holmes is a classic example sherlock oh, holmes yeah. is really smart knows everything but watson provides the, the the social and emotional intelligence that wants that that holmes lacks um and so there are roles for watson in a lot of the adventures, particularly the later adventures, that Holmes couldn't quite fill. Uh, so even though Holmes has a lot of talent and a lot of skills, there's still a role for Watson. So as you find cases or circumstances where Holmes is not going to be as comfortable, then there is a role for those other characters. And much like the Hobbits, there are things that the Hobbits can say and do. Like Gandalf could not have convinced the the, the, the treants to do or the ants to do what they did. The, the hobbits were the people who were able to do that. So that yeah. allows them to shine in those moments. Um, so then it goes back to our same four is like, um, if there's something that's taking a disproportionate amount of time or focus, finding other things that other players are interested in and giving them the spotlights will make, I think people more forgiving of that, that hammer as it were. Um, and also it gives an opportunity to say, okay, let's, if you can't amp down this one thing, that's constantly coming up can we amp up the other sides and give them an equivalent amount of focus and attention and narrative strength um and one of the things that uh you know there are different types of players that are into different things and you like a lot of groups have the note taker right the person who kind of like keeps track of everything yeah because everything could be important right right um and you know in, in amongst that is just npcs and um uh, uh, situations that the characters have run into. If you've got a long-running campaign, the the characters have met NPCs, um, and you know some of those maybe have been one-off that they just kind of befriended somebody or got to know this NPC. Sometimes they're recurring NPCs. Um, you can always integrate challenges where just knowing the right person gets you where you want to go, rather than having to uh, you know break out all your stealth gear. You know, twelve. Mm-hmm sessions ago your characters met a, uh, an npc who has an in with wherever it is you're trying to sneak in well like you know rather than you know having to run into the potentiality of your plan failing of you using up limited use gear 
um, one shot items and things like that. Like call upon, you know, you can give the, the players the opportunity to call upon the NPC that they befriended before and say, hey, um, you know, can you help us with this? Or maybe if anybody that if they actually owe the characters a favor, if you've made that clear in the game, that's that's your in immediately. Or you can get them to do something. You know, the, the NPC does something for the characters and now the characters owe the NPC a favor for down the road, which becomes a plot hook later. But you can, um, you know, you don't want an NPC to like walk the characters through the whole story and kind of solve the problems right. all for them. But like getting an NPC that gets you past one step is a useful um, and flavorful moment of like, okay, this thing we did 12 sessions ago paid off. Gandalf's actually another good example of that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. An amazingly good example of that. <laughs> I mean, he literally comes back. It's like, well, hey, Bill, remember that thing we did? I'm going to help you out. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if, because um, when I'm thinking of of like people's focus on stats as a problem, because um, that's really where this conversation is coming from, is when it is a problem. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if there are games that aren't about combat, that aren't like so focused on combat, that you've run into this problem with. Um, I've seen it in a couple of games. Um, uh, one that's actually sadly very hard to find because I think it was only kickstarted and never got actually sold um, was the John Silence role-playing game, which was interesting because it took old school D&D and reframed it all as social combat. So your hit points became heart points and all of your different attacks became different uh, um, conversational gambits. Mm. Um, but it did not remove some of the inherent power problems with D&D, and so certain paths, certain gambits became disproportionately powerful. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, you know, you can interrogation and uh, I think it was um, browbeating ultimately just became very, very useful because you always got a certain amount of benefit from it, whereas the more subtle, like, uh, uh, seduction or kind of, uh, of argumentative techniques were a little harder to implement. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it, but that was also a game specifically designed around conversation and exploration. Uh, and so if you're using a, a combat chassis to build on and you don't fix underlying problems, you're going to get them. Um, another one which does an interesting take on it is A Teenager's from Outer Space. Uh, again, it's a comedic role-playing game. Wait, who does uh, this? Who, who does uh, Art, Art Halsorian does it. Uh, um, uh, teenagers, it came out in like the late 90s, although you can still get it on DriveThruRPG, um, but they still support it. It's such a really fun game. Uh, but the premise is, of course, you're gonzo aliens from outer space, and you're going mm -hmm. to high school because that's exactly what you do when you're an alien from outer space. Uh, and they have a concept called Too Much, uh, where the, the game master rolls a secret number behind the screen, and if you succeed by more than that amount, then your success becomes wraps around and becomes a problem. So like, mm -hmm. if you're trying to convince someone of something, if you just succeed, you convince them. But if you over succeed, then everyone else has heard that and think it's great and they start following you around and ask you for even more advice. And now you're trying to sneak into a situation and one of them shows up and says, hey, by the way, I have one more question for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that kind of, uh, of yes and becoming its own problem, which works great for a comedy game. So it's not for every game, but it's still an interesting way to solve that, which is the, okay, you succeed and you keep succeeding, but now that's a problem. So you maybe don't want to succeed quite as much. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I like that the, the little the little game design kind of solutions for this. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's a pro- it's been a problem in. I, I keep saying pro- it's not always a min maxing in itself is not a problem. It's how you use it. Right. Um, but it, it's right, and we're discussing yeah. here. Yeah, when I know. It I, a <laughs> if it's if it's not a problem, if everybody's on board, I want to make sure that's clear. Go for it. For <laughs> there sure. might be some listener yeah, this is, this out is, there. This is all like, just. But yeah, what about? If but, but, I, but I think it's fair because um, uh, I, I've actually seen weirdly this a lot of this in live action games, right? Um, because I've played in lots of long-term Vampire the Masquerade LARPs. Oh, yeah. And one thing on, on a long enough timeline for Vampire LARP, all problems are solved by murdering other player characters. <laughs> because that is the only long-term solution that's valid. Uh, so a lot of the mechanics optimization goes towards killing other characters. Mm. Um, and that's something that I've seen repeatedly been observed in the community. I pointed out design concerns about that. But if combat is the most effective way to consistently solve problems, it's going to be the place to optimize. And that's where it's going to be a problem. Because, what I mean, going back to player agency, the best way to take away players' agency is killing their character. But if the game incentivizes that, then that's going to be where the technology, the arms race, as it were, happens. Um, so if you take that off the table to where it's hard to do or it, it's not a permanent solution, um, the Doctor Who game does this really well. Uh, for example, a little thing, but uh, the, the initiative for the Doctor Who Adventure in Time and Space, talking happens before running, which happens before fighting. So you can convince someone or run away before they can attack you, okay. which means that attacking is not the most efficient way of solving a problem. Talking is because I go first every time I talk. It's a small little rules tweak, but it does push people towards, maybe I should talk to them first because I could do that thing first or roll that dice first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and regardless of what, what you have, I, I like that. that that's, a, that's a nice little solution to, to this issue. Um, uh, as, as the GM, because you can't, you can't go back in time and, and fix the game that you're, you're working on, unless you want to do right. some house rules, which right. is always an option. Um, but, you know, just making sure that you're, you're really trying to engage the, the characters themselves rather than the character sheets making sure that you you try to get them to get that stake and describe what's happening instead of just saying like, like I cast magic missile like okay tell me tell me about that the the old what does that look like how do you do that question um just making sure that you're engaging with them and um if yeah it's I don't mind min maxers at my table I, I don't mind people that are really focused on their character sheets um no, they're invested. Yeah, they're that's that's great. I'm glad that they're having fun. Uh, but I I try not to play too many games that uh, you know do that. Do, you know, have a have a lot of focus on the stats. I like to play a lot of games that you know you're playing like a playbook usually something like that instead. Right. Um. And, and I mean, I have uh, uh, played games where like okay, let's set the table. We're all going in. We're gonna maximize our characters. We're gonna beat up people and take their lunch money, and that's the whole game. And we're gonna enjoy that. And if you die, you die. <laughs> put that all on the table ahead of time. Then again, it, it it's not a problem anymore. Right. Everyone's doing it, and that's the whole point of the game. And so you recognize that. And, and you you have a valid point. And sometimes it's the why don't you just play Gloomhaven? Why don't you just play you know uh, World of Warcraft? Whatever you can do that. But sometimes you like that experience of still being social and being creative, but also that kind of economy of making sure every point counts that can be fun as long as everyone knows what we're doing 
But if someone's playing that game and someone's playing the game that you're liking with the Outwatch, I just picked the playbook and, pick, and check some things that looked cool. If they can't cohesive the same game, then yes, that is a problem. Yeah. Uh, Craig, I think we should just change the format of this podcast and like we open up, we say, talk to your players and then we close <laughs> and then we're just done. I think that that's, right, yeah. that, that's the whole, that's the whole, the, the, the podcast is called talk to your players. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the second half could be, uh, you know, read a lot of other games. <laughs> um, if you want to learn how to design a game, yeah. that's one way to do that and too. Done. Um, um, but now that we've, now that we've talked a lot about, um, what you can do as a GM to get uh, players to not bury their heads in the character sheets. We're going to talk a little bit about what we can do as designers to get players <laughs> to be able to use a character sheet um, because there are good character sheets and there are bad character sheets and there are a lot of in-between character sheets. Um, so let's talk a little bit about character sheet design. I love this. Um, and uh, there's, uh, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways to lay things out on a character sheet. There's a lot of, you know, you've, we've seen the things that look nearly like spreadsheets that are just kind of lines and, and, you know, text prompts of where you're putting information. We've seen very, very flavorful things that have very little, relatively little information on them, but it's like really like when you look at the character sheet, you think, Ooh, this is from that game. It, you know, drags yeah. you into the game. Um, uh, shadows, uh, shadow of shadow, shadow, shadow of the demon lord. I'm looking at you and your character sheet, which looks like like you're being cursed when you look at the character sheet. Um, uh, but yeah, just uh, let's talk a little bit about that. I know Eddie, you've got a, a lot of experience, um, more experience than Jess and I in um, in RPGs, and I've I've designed character sheets a little bit. I've conferred with uh, graphic designers when they're designing stuff for one of my games. Um, just uh, as, as a base point, you know, I think the, the, the overriding factor of a character sheet design is that this is the, this is the part of the game that probably the players are going to interact with the most. Um, the players are going to look at the their character sheet constantly. They're going to look at it in between sessions. Um, even in games that are heavy on rules and where you got to look up spells and all that sort of stuff a lot, you're also always going to be checking your character sheet to see if you've got that spell memorized or you, do you still have that? um ability uh do you have that piece of equipment whatever um what can we do to make character sheets uh usable happy fun um not confusing yeah uh prioritize information <laughs> properly for the game all there, that there, there's stuff. there's a lot you can do um and honestly one of the big things you you kind of touched on a little bit is get a graphic designer involved as fast as possible uh, because a lot of it is how you organize the information. Um, uh, I'm going to give a very unusual example, but I promise it will wrap back around. I learned a lot about character sheet design from playing Pokemon, the collectible card game, mm. uh, because we when I first started learning about it, I was like, oh, it's a kid's game. It, it's it's really easy. And then uh, on a lark, I actually started playing it because like I, I, I like I said earlier, try to play as many games as possible, play games you wouldn't normally play because you can learn from them. And so I was working on related designs. So let me try this game out. I played it online. I played a, an old a Nintendo version of it. And it is a game with a lot of depth and complexity. And so for a while, I was like, how can younger kids parcel this information? And it's because it doesn't overwhelm you with it. Mm -hmm. uh, it got me really thinking about the fact that a lot of games that we talk about as crunchy or complicated, there are very complicated tabletop role-playing games that people understand. D&D is a complicated game. I mean, at its core, even 5e is still a complicated 
tabletop role-playing game. Uh, but because culturally we've organized the information in certain ways and we've had certain bits of information reinforced, it feels easier. Yeah. Um, so a lot of presenting the information in easy ways can really reduce that overhead. And there have been games that are very, very simple that I still can't wrap my head around because the character sheet is so badly designed. The information's hidden in weird places. It's not clear what's important. Um, but uh, one thing I know I kept coming back to in my early design days uh, was Vampire the Masquerade. It was a game I had loved. Um, but one of the things about the sheets is uh, the humanity stat. If you've ever seen the original Vampire sheets, um, especially second edition, uh, there's humanity is right in center. It's big, huge 10 dots. Uh, and at least the original version uh, had the highest number at the top and the bottom. You can't look at that sheet and not see that counter. And that really tells you something about the game. This is the most important part of the game. Humanity is something that you're going to struggle with. You're going to look at it. Even though it's not the mechanic you interact with the most, you're not rolling dice on it as often. You're not changing it very often. But it's something that your eye keeps being drawn back to because it's kind of that bottom center of the sheet. And so you're constantly going to be, even subconsciously, thinking about it, looking at it. Uh, so that's something that I found really helpful when I'm working on character sheets is what is the information that I want players to see even out of the corner of their eye often and it doesn't have to be the thing they interact with the most but, but sometimes that's true sometimes that is what it is uh but sometimes it's the what is the central piece of my game what is the one thing that my players need to be aware of at all times make that the centerpiece of it and then build around that yeah definitely because uh, yeah you, you you see it in D D with you know like the armor class is often on a sheet like in a piece of armor or a shield or something it's got a graphic that kind of pops out at you and like your base attack might have a, a weapon you know kind of motif around it or something where it's like the the, the graphic pieces like the the little graphic components that are in there will help to kind of cue mm -hmm. you on things like you said with with vampire it was because it was like oh big dots right there boom yeah. like you can't miss it because it was larger it was centered um I think that, yeah, like uh, just the size and location of things um, will play into uh, people's understanding of the uh, the hierarchy. Because there's going to be a hierarchy on the sheet, whether you mm -hmm. like it or not. Like even the simplest character sheet is that you, if you give no thought to hierarchy, you're going to end up with an inferred hierarchy because of where you place things, even if you didn't really plan for it. Players are going to start to see like, oh, this is important because it's got a box around it. it yeah, that's and that's important for character creation too. If it's someone who's playing your game for the first time and they look at that character sheet and they see that this thing is at the top, oh, that must be the important thing that I should be looking at. I mean, you're probably going to have some of that in the character design guidelines in your book, but mm -hmm. that character sheet should correspond to what you were saying in that book in some way. Um, yeah, I, the boxes, putting boxes around important stuff, putting graphics where things need to be found. Um, and uh, I mean, the scannability of a character sheet is is superbly important, but, but I wanna stay on uh, hierarchy. I wanna get to other stuff later, hierarchy. How do you evoke hierarchy um, in, in in a way that um, gives someone the important information without taking up too much space. Do you guys have any tips? Um, one thing that really helped me was uh, a long time ago, I saw uh, a document about web design. And one of the things to talk about is where your eye goes on a web page. Uh, and then a few years later, I found something similar for magazines. Uh, and so basically, um, 
the you're without if everything is equal if all the text is the same and looks the same you naturally uh western people will go to the top left of the, the page and then they'll go not from top to bottom it actually goes in a z format and of course i'm pointing which is great audio content but um you go to the top left corner you go to the top right corner you go to the bottom left corner you go to the bottom right corner that is assuming everything is weighted equal if it's not weighted equally if something's larger or more prominent your eye will go to the most prominent thing first then it will go down from there and then back to the top which is interesting to me so for example on a classic character sheet you have things like name uh alignments whatever uh player name and then underneath that you usually have your your main stats and it's usually a slightly bigger more prominent place uh you know dnd sheets a lot of other sheets do this um so that's the place your eyes going to go first which is why if you've ever played a game of uh, the one check game at convention and you always forget your character's names constantly which seems odd because it's the very top of the sheet but that's not where your eye is going your eye is going there actually last if you're looking for your character name your you i will instinctively for like a half a second will scan the entire rest of the sheet before it goes back to the top and so little things like that really help me to understand okay so the important stuff needs to be prominent and near the top and then as you move down it needs to start being more distinctive because that way your eye will drag down to it if you need to go someplace else so if you have just list of skills if you have like attributes and then skills and then equipments you're going to look at attributes first you're going to look at skills first you'll equipment but if you again if you have like a little box of like a treasure chest with any equipment written to it your eye will draw down there because it's a different distinctive novel elements but then after you're done looking at that for whatever reason it will pop back to the top that's a really good example of that too, because it doesn't make sense to have your character's name and some of that basic biographical information anywhere else other than at the top. Like mm -hmm. when you're in school, that's where you put your name exactly. on your paper and stuff. But you look at those character sheets, it's written in smaller font. Mm -hmm. You're filling in a lot of it. There's a lot of white space there for the player to do their thing. Um, and you always look at the, it's usually, I think it's like stats and AC, right? That's like on mm -hmm. a D&D character sheet, like that's it. There you go. But if you look at, like, say, um, a, a pretty traditional uh, Power by the Apocalypse playbook, usually there's a piece of art on right. there. Mm -hmm. And that's where your eye goes first, which is good. I mean, usually for a playbook, it's the, oh, that character looks cool. I want to play them. That's what yeah. you want. That's the experience you want. Um, but then usually it's in my experience with PPTA is that it's usually two columns. There's stuff on the left, stuff on the right. So your eye goes to that piece, then it goes to the left and reads down to the right and reads down. And mm -hmm. sometimes for some PTBA games, that's done really well. You have the critical information on the left side and the less critical information on the right side. So other designers who aren't as savvy will do it what they believe to be a logical progression, but that means sometimes you're bouncing back to two columns and it feels muddier, even though it's the exact same design underpinning as other PTPA playbooks. Um, so some of it is really, has a graphic designer been involved with this game? Do they understand how I travel goes? It can mean a world difference between a, what seems to be a very clean and easy playbook to read versus a very muddy playbook to read. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, if even if you can't if you can't afford to hire a graphic designer, like you're doing this game on your own, whatever your mm -hmm. budget is, it is so well worth it. Um, Eddie mentioned the the S curve that your eye takes, or that mm -hmm. um, look that stuff up. Look at those basics of graphic design; it will save your life. Yeah, there's a, a 
and there's there's basic guidelines of that yeah. sort of stuff online if you just go looking for it. Just like the general rules are easy to find. Um, if you want to get into very specific, detailed, much more in-depth discussion of graphic design, then you're probably looking at maybe you find a website kind of buried somewhere that has a lot of information um, or or getting a book. Um, but like the, the the most basic stuff you can find pretty yeah, and again, looking, looking at like website design, magazine design, textbook design, those are all things that are sharing information in a similar way as a character sheet and then using those to go, how do they organize information and building from there. Again, you can look, you can do some Googling and find some some good stuff. There's even a meme I saw um, where it was literally like, you're reading this first, then you're reading this, and you're reading this, and then finally you're reading this. And it has, you know, big bold center, smaller, smaller, and the last one's the top. And it's eerie because if you don't know that's happening it feels like this static image is reading your brain um but because the eye travel is such a consistent thing with with western people other cultures have different eye patterns yeah um but it's common enough in western culture which is going to be probably likely a huge chunk of your audience to recognize how their eye travel works is going to be a huge part of it yeah uh for what about like um these very stylized character sheets like what are when do you decide that you want to do a stylized one? Um, like you mentioned, um, oh, what game did you mention, Craig? Shadow of the Demon Lord. Workbork, I think, has one too, doesn't they? I actually I haven't oh, seen Workbork. So. Oh, feel really? Like bad, oh, I'm a bad everything else is so stylized. I, I just assumed the character sheet. <laughs> also, it's, been, it's been a minute. Yeah, no, there's there's their character sheet's just a bunch of grids. Almost wasn't surprising. <laughs> That's funny. When do you decide like to do something fancy, to do something um, cool or to keep it more or less simple and traditional? I think one of the things you need to take into account first is if you're going to do something that's kind of out of the ordinary like that is um, either really studying all of this stuff yourself or in fact, really getting a graphic designer because that's where you're going to like, I'm sure I have no doubt that Rob uh, Rob Schwal, the designer of Shadow of the Demon Lord, had somebody going to figure out like, okay, we're going to have like this weird pentagram-ish looking thing and all the stats are going to be kind of arranged around that. And where everything is was probably very specifically mm -hmm. chosen um, and probably in line with what Eddie was talking about, like with where your eye goes, it's going to follow you around. You're going to be like, oh, that's, I see this first, that's important. I see this second, that's also important. I see this third, this is a little less important, but it's still there. And you're going to make your way around like that. So be careful to be like, to, to go too um, uh, uh, stylized if you if you don't know where you're going to go with it. Now, like with my, I may, I, I, with my first game was Murders and Acquisitions, where I did actually a stylized character sheet, but it's in the style of a resume, which everybody kind of knows. I was going to bring that up. Like. Mm -hmm. so, so you've got a resume set up where it's maybe not set up like ideally for the Z pattern of scanning the character sheet, but everybody's going to look at that and go, oh, that's right. a resume. Like it's, it makes, they, and they will, they will infer um, hierarchy from that. Um, and then that you can build out on that. So there's, there's, the, that's another way you can do something that's stylized that has that, that there, where there's a reference point where people are going to kind of automatically kind of figure out, oh, well, this is what's important. And this Did is she bring it up? Because um, you're right. Uh, uh, if we, if there are cultural counter patterns that we have learned to read certain things in different ways because we've learned that certain structure, comic books come to mind. Um, is comic yeah. books are read in a distinctive way from the way we read normal printed prose. Um, so if you can trick someone into seeing that counter pattern in your character sheet, then yes, you can change eye travel and you can change a pre believed presumed priority. Um, 
but you have to be careful because you also have to make sure that the people who are reading your game do know that pattern. Right. Um, so like in your game, it's a game about weird corporate stuff happening. So people coming to it have a certain understanding of how corporate lingo and corporate elements work. And so it's not a surprise to see somebody's resume. Okay, I, 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 I came into this game wanting this kind of thing. I, so therefore I know what those patterns are to expect. And that makes sense. If you go too far afield, um, it can jar and, and cause issues. Um, so like if you're doing, uh, a, say, a, a comic book game, um, it may seem like, oh, well, I'll structure my character sheet like, like comic book panels, but we read comic book panels in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the same way we glance over to find information because you don't scan a comic book page to pull out one random panel and right. one random word balloon. You, you read it like you read prose. A resume, you do scan to find specific information out of it. And so you can scan it differently. Uh, so I travel alone is not the entire answer. It's how are you parsing the information? Um, but, but like, so what like Craig said, uh, um, uh, those points are valid is like thinking about um, how you want to present the information. It doesn't mean you can't be creative with it, but just try to think things through. Um, uh, if you have a circular, a huge circular image, I've seen lots of games that have uh, attributes on a, a circle. Um, and that can be cool and interesting if you do it right. But recognize that most people are going to read it like a clock because that is the most common way, circular piece of information that we have as a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going to look at the top of it and they're going to go clockwise around it, um, which is going to naturally give that a sense of priority. So if you put your combat stats at the top of that circular element, people are going to subconsciously weight combat over everything else. If you put your social stats up there, they're going to have a different perspective of it. And if your game matches that perceived hierarchy, great. If it mm-hmm. doesn't, it's going to feel like you're constantly doing a small bit of extra work. It's similar to dice reading, which is outside the scope of this topic. But if you're doing a little bit of extra work each time, those half a seconds add up at least subconsciously in a person's brain. And even an extra second of reading a character sheet can shift it from this character sheet's really easy to read and this game is quote-unquote intuitive to this game is a slog at quote-unquote clunky. Yeah, I mean, you you can really, you can take a look at a character sheet and figure out if, if that game is going to be a really clunky, crunchy game versus something mm-hmm. that's going to be a little bit more rules light because of just the amount of information that's yeah. presented to you on that page. Uh, and that's something you should think about as a designer of a character sheet too, is yeah, really what people are going to look at is that one page that's in front of them. They're not going to yes. be flipping back and forth very often. Um, so keep keep all of the essentials on that sheet. And if it's not essential, don't just try to cram it in um, onto that. If, if you have a multiple page character sheet, I mean, personally, I'm a little iffy on those, but they do exist. Um, but maybe put, yeah, you're going to put the less prioritized information on the back. Um, if you got to make sure that if your players need to write stuff on their character sheet, you give them room to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> really, well, really important. And uh, building from that and also from something that Eddie said about like the prioritization too, is like if you have... Um, you, it, it, you can you can have prior to prioritization of information um, that's uh, based on like how much space yeah. you give yeah. to something. So like old school uh, fantasy role playing games, you know, you had, OK, here's my character description. It's going to be hair, eyes, height, yep. weight, gender. 
and there's a little line for each one. And that's the whole, that's your whole description because everything else about the description is like what kind of armor they're wearing, what kind of equipment they're carrying. Um, but if you play a game where you give up, give people a great big box that says appearance or description or something like that, then that gives, that tells the players like, I can put in whatever I want here. Like they, like they, there's all sorts of information that might mm -hmm. be important for me to keep track of, or for th that's just important to me. Like I'll just fill this out with the things that I feel are important about my character's um, appearance. Um, and uh, you know, especially if the GM is, if you're leaving the character sheet with the GM, or if the GM is, you know, getting regular access to take a look at the character sheet, they're going to be, they're going to be able to see that information. They might find ways to incorporate things um from just have that have to do with your character's yeah. appearance that you just happen to mention some cool thing some interest like your character has a scar or a tattoo or something that you that you included in there because you felt that that was important enough to write down then you know the, the gm is in the position of like well okay that's something that i can do something with there's no spot on my sheet for tattoo on this other character sheet but this character sheet here has a big box that says like just i'm laughing because you're saying a tattoo and i'm looking at my arm going i would take me like a whole sheet to describe all my tattoos yeah. <laughs> well and then that, that becomes the question do you, do you have a big box of tattoo big box for tattoos on the front right. of the sheet right at the top in the upper left or do right. you put it on the second sheet um, but, uh, something <laughs> I've been thinking over, and this is much less in the I think this is true more is a theory I've been or a hypothesis I've been formulating. I'm curious what y'all's thoughts on is. Um, I completely agree with Jess. It's like beyond the first sheets from moment to moment gameplay, that might as well access. That is, you moved into reference. After yeah. the first sheet, I'm going to flip over and reference. My hypothesis is, is that beyond page one, the amount of pages you have referenced don't matter so much. Whether you have two or 12 pages of reference don't matter as much as whether you have one or more than one. Does that seem to track with your experiences? I, I would agree with you on that. Because um, there's there's going to be stuff that you like, if you have reference stuff, it's probably in the book too. Um, do, you, do you need that there? Is it something that the, the players should carry with them? Are you going to have those extra reference sheets? Like there's lots of games that have like some of the basic rules put down on a little cheat sheet. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are providing that as like simple like material for each player to have, do consider the, the printing capabilities of your players because they will be printing out all sure. those sheets. Um, if I have to print out 12 pages for my character every time and I am a broke high school student um, and I, you know, it's summertime, I don't have access to my school library. Am I going to play your game or I'm going to, am I going to do something else? I'm not going to probably bother printing off all those rest of those supplemental sheets. Well, because I'm thinking about like spellcasters, for example, um, it, we, we've kind of normalized that spellcasters or characters who are in the same design space as spellcasters who have a lot of ad hoc yeah. powers, you're going to have at least one more sheet of paper uh -huh. with it. And, and we've normalized that. Um, and I'm wondering like, but what if it's a game that's all spellcasters? Okay, well then it just accepts that you have, everyone gets three sheets or two sheets of paper, or do you redesign a character sheet so where the spells are on the front page? Because that's much more of a, focus of your game that's why i'm like i know mage uh the various world darkness mage games tried to do that by bringing those mage spheres more on the front page but also that was a game about just pick up whatever spell you want functionally mm -hmm. um so that kind of just didn't really solve the problem it just basically said that we're ignoring the problem i um 
I do. Like when I play spellcasters, I like having those reference pages so I can like write down my spell and a little bit of the basic stuff about what it does. I would love though to have a supplement, like just strictly talking about D and D having a particular spell book where I can check some things I can write down. Here's the distance. Here's it's a cone, it's a ray or whatever, and then move on with my life rather than having to write every little thing down or type it. Um, I know that D and D in particular has those spell deck, car- like their spell book right. cards instead, which are mm-hmm. optional, but I, I love that. Cause when I'm, when I play D and D, I want to do the fun stat stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, make it make it easy on your players, whatever they're going to need to reference. I I I I, I am in agreement with you. Whether it's two pages, like two extra pages, or or twelve extra pages, eh, that other stuff. As long as I have that first sheet, and I'm good. And I have and, the- and the cards are interesting because really, what you're talking about, the cards are an extension of your character sheet. Yeah. Um, but we don't think of it that way because it's not a physical sheet of paper but it still is i have to take a cards i will pull them up as i need them I'm, that's not that core yeah. page in front of me i'm constantly referencing thing it's still crinkled off to the sides behind that sheet as you will but even though it's a different form factor so that's something interesting that i haven't thought about i think uh when when you get into the multiple sheet realm um if you're going to have these reference sheets it's like, like let's say you have a you're designing a game that's very crunchy and robust and has a lot of stuff, right? Characters can have a lot of stuff, um, whatever that may be. And is the, the, the thing that I would be most interested in seeing as a player is making sure that the spell sheet looks different from the, you know, the, the layer stronghold sheet looks different from the, all the equipment sheet looks, you know, like there's some, and not just minor differences, like real, like there, there can be a design aesthetic that kind of carries across all of them but like every the a sheet that's like this is a spell sheet i should be able to glance at the spell sheet not read Mm -hmm. a word just look at the boxes or how the columns are arranged and say that's my spell sheet so that i'm not flipping through pages trying to figure you know trying to find okay which one has got my spells on it i have to sit here and read part of an entry every time because i get you know you want the you want each of these different types of sheets to have some uh graphic difference like a wand in the corner or something anything yeah i mean even even if it's just like oh this has got a, a heavy border up on the top box and this has got a heavy border down in the bottom box um like the player will will learn that eventually um graphics obviously are better if like you like you said if you got like you know here's a little picture of a spell book right <laughs> versus like here's a little picture of a castle and this is this is this this is the sheet where we keep track of our stronghold and our followers and our resources um yeah uh yeah i don't think yeah, you know, two sheets. If you got two sheets versus six sheets, like it's just yeah. a different uh, robustness of the game. And as long as you can navigate those as easily as you, you know, or close to as easily as you can navigate that that main right. sheet. Because um, my, my theory has always been that uh, a character sheet is your is the window into your game. Uh, like like Jess said, it's like a lot of people will flip to the back. I know I do it too. What does the character sheet look like? And that's usually a big part of my experience. Exp- well, I believe the game was going to be. Um, and so not only from a organizational standpoint, but from a selling standpoint, uh, that first top sheet should say as much about the game as the back cover blurb, as your introductory chapter, whatever. Um, so putting those important things on there are helpful from a sales standpoint, but then also as the players constantly engaging with it, because that top sheet, as we've talked about, is going to be the most important thing to engage with. All that important information needs to be there and needs to be front and center. So I am finding that 
if the game's going to be um, have a lot of, of mechanical depth, um, and I would rather have that sheet be a little sparse, but have key information and then recognize I'll just reference the rest of stuff later, then trying to cram as much information as possible. It's like, I would rather flip through five, personally, five or six sheets than two sheets that are very dense. Mm. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if that is just my personal proclivities or if that's something that I can extrapolate into a larger design structure. I think, yeah, I think it depends. I think it really depends on the, on the person and the game too. I think that mm-hmm. depends a lot. You know, uh, you, you mentioned too that like the, the, the character sheets, your interface with the game, and it might be the only thing that a player is interfacing with if you are doing a yeah. ton game, for example, might, mm-hmm. they might not have the book in front of them. Um, so keeping those things in mind. So if, if it is a game that has a lot of rules that players need to keep track of and, and reference things, um, maybe maybe do consider that and add some more sheets um if it's easy if i know where to find stuff like as a person who has a hard time scanning when there's like a lot of information on one page um like if it's packed packed to the brim with a bunch of stuff it's going to be really hard for me to keep track of things and i will forget that things exist on that sheet i think for me it would be easier to have something that's a little longer but i would also want maybe like not necessarily a whole table of contents, but like I, I need to know what's on these sheets um, right. and be able to look at them as quickly as possible. I, I don't know. I think it kind of depends. I think it was like the correct point of making each stage yeah. page distinctive. Yeah. 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 And, and keep in mind too, how you sort of expect the game right. to be played. Um, like something I've been doing more um, with some, some recent stuff I've been working on is trying to have two page, playbooks essentially that like everything's on two pages so the idea being that this game is easy to play online you can put it up Mm -hmm. on your computer screen you've got two pages you never have to flip around for anything you just have it up on your screen um and uh and for gms too i'm you know i was doing the same thing where you've got like a two-page adventure um and and so that that puts you in a place as a designer of designing a game that is a certain density like you can't have the game get too heavy and full of rules and and options and things um and, and expect to be able to yeah. fit everything on two sheets. So like, you know, it's a question of like, think a little bit about how you want the game to be played. If you want people to sit down for six hours and they're going to have a bunch of table space and they're going to be flipping through multiple books and flipping through all sorts of sheets. And that's part of the fun of the game. Then, you know, having a bunch of character sheets and, and resource sheets and whatnot isn't so bad. But if you want something tighter and quicker that people never have to flip around on, um, then, you know, the overall design of the game maybe needs to be kind of curtailed down to that and make sure you're designing the character sheets cleanly that you know you can fit everything you also want to consider this from a purely monetary standpoint um like if you grew up and you you got these tabletop games you bought your first one in a game store uh before you could go like onto drive through rpg and and buy a game and find all the supplements for it um they would have the character sheets and anything you needed to print out as like an appendix in the back you don't necessarily need that every page that you add to your game ups the price of printing your game um you can reduce your overhead a little bit if you have a stable place where you can put those supplements online i still think you should have you should include a character sheet in your in your book somewhere right um but if you have like a lot of reference sheets and things like that you might want to consider just putting those online somewhere as a pdf download uh that's way easier anyway because i don't know anybody who photocopies from the back of their uh, D&D book anymore. I haven't seen that since I was in middle school. Oh, I remember doing that. Oh God, that was, that was a minute. Oh, uh, the heady yes. days being really, being very careful to not yeah. crack the binding yes. on the book. 
um and and just being like okay thank goodness they put it at the back because if they put the character sheet like like lately i've gotten into the habit of i put the character sheet like the like i said that like that two-page spread like right right in there with the character just uh character creation rules i don't put it in the back of the book because they don't have to be flipping like have it have it real nearby so you can get to it because they're going to print the pdf of the character sheet if they're going to use a a page anyway but like back in the day yeah if you wanted you wanted the character sheet at the back of the book so you could just flip that yep. back cover open yeah. and not be cracking through the <laughs> middle of the spine trying to get the care trying to get the part of the character sheet that's buried down in the spine your your dm had a folder so oh, that's a <laughs> flashback yeah. and it's actually you brought up because um uh, i've been playing a lot of uh online gaming recently because you know well look outside um and most people are running D&D, so I've been using D&D Beyond a lot. And D&D Beyond is, is, is fine as a service, but it's interesting visually. It A lot of it comes from assuming a piece of paper, right? Um, there's not been a ton of iteration in how it looks, whereas something like, say, Lancer um, comes with a – you can get a free online character creation app. And so how it presents that character creation information assumes a website. Mm-hmm. And so there's a care sheet you can get, but also it's the, the website information – it's all there, but it's presented as a website should present it. Um, and so it's interesting how some of these graphical elements we've inherited. Because this is just, you know, what, you have the care sheet in the back because of this printing cost. There's no reason why we couldn't have the care sheet on page 20 or in the front or whatever, because we've always put it back because of this old thing that's no longer actually a valid concern. So that's something else that's interesting to keep in mind is think about how your game's actually going to play, what form factor you're putting out, and take that into consideration. If, you know, if you're doing a game that's all about, say, uses tarot cards as a mechanic, can you fit the character sheet on something the size of a tarot card so it looks like it's part of that set? You know, that could, it's a, it's a, it, then you can just have that be an additional card in the set if you wanted to. That's a, a different form factor thing. It's interesting and cool if you can make that work. You doesn't necessarily have to beat an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Yeah. That's very true. I, I want to like um, mention as well, if you are, if you want your game on like a roll 20, for example, mm-hmm. don't, I, I would not recommend trying to do that on your own. If, unless you know, like I would just go, go hire someone to do that for you. Um, I, I love on these virtual tabletops now that I can just click my thing and it does the thing for me. I mm-hmm. love that. That's great. I can't um, go back. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's terrific. I have played games where we are sitting at a table with our character sheets in front of us, but we are clicking on the virtual tabletop to do like things so we don't have to waste time doing the math ourselves. We could just have mm-hmm. it there. But again, I would not recommend doing that on your own unless you are very savvy with that. We hired someone that was the best decision that we made for for putting something virtually. Yeah, absolutely. We're in the same process, so I completely agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, computer stuff. That's 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 <laughs> magic. I've actually I've actually done programming. I'm still like I'm just gonna hire someone. Yeah, <laughs> I have other stuff to do. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to make it work correctly the way it should be 100 percent of the time, and also make it look nice. The same, like yeah, you got to be pretty skilled at both things to do. <laughs> Indeed, it's two two very different skill sets. Yeah, kind of like the the whole graphic designing of a character sheet in general. Like, yeah. you, people go to college for four years to study graphic design, unless you're putting a lot of personal development and professional development into learning graphic design, you are not going to get as good as that person with the degree. Absolutely. Yeah. 
hire hire them and their experience <laughs> and pay them and yeah and pay them because <laughs> you know they went to school for it they have tons of practice you're, you're you're spending but you're basically subsidizing their their whole college career by <laughs> by paying for their <laughs> their services no i, I mean and that is tax deductible. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not tax deductible. No. This is true. <laughs> well, I mean, it it's an expense right. for your business, so it, it's tax deductible yeah, in that it. respect. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that you should you should uh, hire a tax accountant when you start. Oh God, yes. <laughs> Best decision I ever made when I got a hiring tax accountant. She's wonderful. Uh, I love her. Yeah, yeah. I, I love graphic designers. They rock. Um, hire them if you can afford to do it. Or, you know, be prepared to spend some time learning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Yeah. Look at that. Look at all that great advice. We solved all those Indeed. problems. We'll never talk about them ever again. Yeah. Nope. Done. <laughs> we'll talk about them in like 30 episodes from now on this <laughs> podcast. Because <laughs> there's only so many things yeah. to discuss. We'll return. I'm sure we'll talk about stuff. Uh, kind of tangentially related to all of this at some point, but there you go. Thank you, yeah, Eddie. Glad to come. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening as well. And Eddie, again, thanks. And would you like to tell us about yourself and where we can find your things and what you want to plug? Absolutely. Um, so uh, it, it's interesting that we're doing this topic because um, I've, I do occasionally write scripts for a web channel called Extra Credits. Um, and I did do a topic about character sheet design for them as well. But I also talk about other tabletop topics. I've got about 12-ish episodes up now. Um, so that's one, uh, Extra Credits on YouTube. Uh, you could do find it with a Z and for the S. You can find them on, uh, online as well. Um, also, I do have my own podcast called the Onyx Pathcast, where we talk about the Onyx Path Publishing uh, with my colleagues Dixie Cochran and Matthew Dawkins. Uh, we do talk about design, but also we talk about musicals and The Hobbits <laughs> and uh, <laughs> bad music and video games. So it's not exactly as on topic as this podcast is, but we do occasionally also talk about design and freelancing and the backstory behind some of the games we make. So um, definitely check that out. Um, but if you're interested in my career specifically, uh, you can find me at pugsteady.com, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Um, you can also find me with that name on Twitter. Um, and uh, feel free to come check out, look at, look at my resume, look at all the videos I mentioned. Um, and if you have questions, just feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Great, thank you. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Joska, or you can find my games at wannabegames.com or on DriveThruRPG under Wannabe Games. And you can find me at NerdBurgerCraig on Twitter um, at NerdBurgerGames.com and uh, a bunch of stuff up on DriveThruRPG.com as well. Um, but my little NerdBurgerCon online thing that's going to be coming up. Um, keep Stay tuned. Follow me on Twitter. Keep an eye out there because uh, we'll be... Uh, looking to get people to sign up for events um, and fill up the game tables, the virtual game tables um, here in the next few weeks. Uh, that's going to happen on October 16th and 17th. Um, and we're going to get together and play some games online. It'll be fun. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you back here next time.